Thank you for leading worship today, y'all. Can we give it up for them, leading us in worship? It was good. John chapter 2. We're in this series called His Presence. We're talking about the presence of God. And um, we've been talking about how the presence of God is not a feeling, it's our reality for the believer, right? So when we sung that, we, we, you know, we sung earlier, even though I don't feel it, you're working, that is the, the, the activation of that belief. There are times where I don't feel it emotionally, but I have to recognize that he's an omnipresent God. If we're going to believe in God, we have to believe he's God, all right? And if he, we believe he's God, he's everywhere at all times, Okay, so there, there's a, his omnipresence and there's his presence. What's the difference? He is everywhere at all times. That is factual and that is truth. But there are times where I don't realize it. There are times where, where I'm not acknowledging his presence. And when I do acknowledge his presence and I'm aware of his presence, I'm in his presence. And because he's everywhere at all times, it's, pr- it's pretty trippy because his presence is here. It's here, but at the same time, it's coming. Also, at the same time, it's going, it's moving, right? So so we have to identify the fact that there are times when I'm not aware of his presence. So our prayer is, God, make me aware of your presence. Make me aware of your presence. And so we talked about in the Old Testament how in the Old Testament, we, he built everything before Jesus. There was a temple because he built a temple for his people. But now in the New Testament, his people are his temple. He dwells inside of each and every one of us. If you have Jesus in your life, you have the presence of God with you, right? And it's bigger than a Jiminy Cricket telling you, you know, your conscience telling you, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't use that finger. Come on, somebody. Right? It's this one. That's rude, too. There's other rude fingers, but this one, right? It's more than that. This is where we find counsel. This is where we find comfort. This is where we find challenge. This is where we find care. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is peace. In his presence, there is truth. In his presence, uh, my strength is found in his presence, so I, I, in the moments when my weakness, I could turn to his presence. So I want to wrap up this series talking about our true, actual, current reality. Because I think it's important to establish that this is truly our reality. His presence is our reality. Push the person next to you. And I mean push it. We're going to get a little violent today. Push the person next to you and say, it's your reality. All right. I grew up in the 90s. We had mosh pits. That's how we loved each other. We loved each other through the mosh pits of life. So here, it's it's, it's quite fascinating. You would think I wouldn't use this verse to talk about God's presence, but Jesus says something quite fascinating in this text that I'm about to read in John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, and he says this. Uh, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, because this is what you were supposed to do. It's time to go to church. In the temple... He found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Now, stop. Hold up. Wait a minute. 
Why were they doing this? We don't understand the context here. The temple was at a central place in the town. So people, what they did is they, they saw an opportunity to capitalize on the location of the temple. So what they would do is they would do a couple different things. Number one, because people would kind of walk through the temple, they were like, this is a great opportunity for us to exchange money and make money off the people that are treating the temple as a shortcut to get to the other side of town. Okay? So they were treating church as a shortcut. Okay? That was one thing. The other thing was, back then, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us and paid the penalty for all of our sins. Holy Spirit break right now. Come on, somebody. Right? So because of this, it was a lot more convenient. Everybody say convenient. It was a lot more convenient to rather than bringing your sacrifice to the temple, let me just buy it when I get there. Okay? So they were trying to, <laughs> they were trying to cheapen their sacrifice to God. Does everybody understand how wrong this is? Right? Now, with that being said, does that mean you can't sell coffee in church? Sometimes people use this verse, we can't sell anything in church. Remember back then we used to sell CDs. Do not turn the house of the Lord into a marketplace. That has nothing to do with what this Bible verse is talking about, okay? What it had to do is that they were treating the temple as a shortcut and they were cheapening the sacrifices of God, okay? So then this is what Jesus did. Your sweet, precious Jesus did this, making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, you don't have the authority to tell the church what to do. So Jesus says, oh, really? So he said this. Jesus answered him, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. He says, I am the temple. I am the temple. I am the presence of God. And if you know anything about the book of John, that's, that's chapter 2. In chapter 1, it said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. Okay? In other words, Jesus says, I now am the presence of God. You don't need a temple. You don't need a, a veiled place. You need me. I am the presence of God. And so he's ushering in this new season of life. And, and this is what we're celebrating in Christmas time. We're celebrating Emmanuel. God is with us. And the only reason he's with us is because we have Jesus. We need the presence of God. The old way, the old covenant didn't pan out well. He didn't get rid of it. He fulfilled the old covenant and gave us this new covenant that requires Jesus. 
We need the presence of God. I'm going to say something controversial. Everybody's leaning in. You nosy people. You're just very nosy people. Say something controversial. If you could do anything else to figure out life other than following God, do it. Some of you are like, I'm leaving this church right now. If you could do anything else to figure out life other than following God, do it. I believe every syllable in that statement. Here's the problem with it. You can't find anything else. You can't find anything else. And when it comes to the presence of God, um, I wish, I wish, I gave my life to the Lord. Um, I don't have a, like a spiritual birthday per se. I, I like, mine was like a slow progression into the kingdom of God. So I didn't have that moment that date, that time, that service where I could pinpoint and say, I raised my hand, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I gave my life to the Lord. Uh, I was just discipled by some people, and they loved me into the kingdom. And I wish we did that a lot more. We loved people into the kingdom. They didn't, they didn't change my language. They didn't change my habits. They first focused on loving me enough to let God change my heart. And... But I wish they would have told me some things that I'm going to tell you today. You ready? I think here's what I wish we need to say to people before following God, okay? Um, and I'm going to be the knucklehead to tell you. And it might scare you away, but I'm hoping it doesn't, okay? So if you're on the verge of believing in God, I'm doing you a, a favor I am showing you what you need to know uh, 10 years from now that I wish somebody told me in the very beginning. Here's the first one. You ready? Following him is really hard. And most of the time, it's the opposite of what I want to do, but it's necessary. Following God is really hard. Thank you, Pastor Mike. It is. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's the, it, a lot of times, it's the opposite of what I want to do. And I wish we just led with that, you know? She's like, praise heaven. Oh, my goodness. You gave your life to Jesus. All of heaven is rejoicing. But you're going to experience some hell on earth. It's not easy to follow God. And most of the time, it's the opposite of what I want to do. This is hard. Y'all agree with me? Those who've been following Jesus right now, clap your hands if you've been following Jesus more than 10 years. More than 20 years. Anybody, 20 years. 30. It is not easy. And I'm not saying that people told me it was going to be easy, but they didn't tell me it was going to be hard. And I just want to keep it 100 with you and tell you it's hard. It's worth it. It's necessary. But it's not easy. Therefore, we need the presence of God in our lives. Second thing is it feels easier to stay the same 
And letting him change me is hard, but he's the only one that can do it. (laughs) It is way easier to stay the same. And letting him change me is hard, but he's the only one that could do it. So much easier to stay the same, right? All of us, you know, there's a parts of our personality that we've just like learned to just like, like force ourselves to just fall in love with it. And you know, darn well, that's not really your God's original wiring, but because of life and hurt and pain, you're like, this is just who I am. It is what it is. Love me or hate me, right? A lot of people are like, oh, I got a lot of haters. I got a lot of haters out there and they just don't like me and there's all this other stuff. No, like you're a jerk. And it's way easier to stay the same than it is to change. Can we be honest with each other, right? Lexi, I'm going to drive this way. In order for you to be actually real with God and real with people, you first have to be real with yourself. And we always, people always say, oh, forever's just a real church. Okay, I'm going to push it. I'm going to put my pedal to the metal on the realness here. And we're just going to be real with ourselves and just be honest so that a real God change us in a real way. But that starts with you being real with yourself. So let's acknowledge the fact that, yes, there are times where I don't want to change. I'm just a critical person. I'm just an opinionated person. Come on. I just tell it like it is. Right? And I've done this one. I've done this one. That's just my face. So let's just be honest with each other. It is easier to stay the same, and letting him change me is hard, but he's the only one that can do it. I love, we're a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and um, I've done a lot of coaching this year, and I just wrapped up my, my last church in North Carolina uh, yesterday. And um, one of the things that I see in the church that's like, it, it's comical, but also frustrating at the same time. And we've done, I think, 153 churches last year with through Peak. 156, 156 churches that we've we've coached through uh, through this thing called the Peak process. And in my experience, what I find a lot with churches, they say this: they say, "We want to win the lost. We want to reach people, but we don't want to change anything inside the church." It's the constant narrative that I. I see in the church, right? I want to reach the lost, but we're going to keep on singing our hymns and doing it our way. I want to reach the lost, but we're not going to embrace diversity in this church. I want to reach the lost. And there's a long list of things like this is what you want, but this is, I'm not willing to do anything about it. And for us to be a church that says this, I'm committed. I'm not trying to change you. We're not trying to change each other, but let's be committed to let God change us. And he changes us through his truth, and he changes us through his grace. And listen, this, my number one job description is this. My job isn't to make you feel good. Sorry. I'm not good at it anyway, to be honest with you. My job is to help you develop a relationship with Jesus, and I trust the byproducts of that relationship. I trust that he's going to change you. 
So I don't come in with an agenda, like, oh, we're going to change the way you act, and we're going to change the way you talk. No, 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 no. I, I, I just want to remind you all the time that he's passionately pursuing you, and he pursues your heart, and we won't relent until he has all of your heart. And when he does, he begins the changing process according to his ways and his agenda, and it's a beautiful process, though it's not easy. Two more, you ready? Waiting stinks. But the only way to develop most parts of your character is waiting on the Lord. I said it. I wanted to put waiting sucks. But for the kids, I'm gonna put waiting stinks, is that okay? Because it does, I'm, I'm, come on. Who's impatient here today? Come on. Help, help me feel like I'm not weird. Help me feel like I'm normal right now. Uh, like waiting stinks. And, and, and there are no, we just learned, Jesus said he didn't like the shortcut. Listen, there are no shortcuts to your character development. There, there are no shortcuts to a great marriage. There are no shortcuts to a great relationship. There are no shortcuts to having a great church. There are no shortcuts to your worship. I said it. There are no shortcuts in being generous. There are no shortcuts to being a disciple of Jesus. We got to stop desiring microwave blessings when we serve a crockpot God. He's a crockpot God. He's a stovetop God. Come on. God, you know, this past year, I, we, I lost my, my abuela, and I remember the way she made popcorn. I love how she made popcorn. She was like, she would always look at me with disgust. She was such an elitist when it came to food. Because, you know, you, you, I want popcorn. And she would just grab that little microwavable bag. She would, ah, okay, so popcorn. <laughs> and this is what she would do. She would bring out the pot. She'd put the oil in the pot, turn on the fire, and wait. Then she would throw one kernel. Everybody say one kernel. And she would put the one kernel in the oil, and you had to wait till that one kernel popped. Then you could add the rest of the kernel. Come on. Doesn't that preach, y'all? Come on. Doesn't that preach? Come on. Sometimes you got to wait for the goodness, you know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes when life gets hot, come on, you have the anointing oil of your life, right? And sometimes all it takes is one person to catch that anointing, and then it spreads, and things start popping, and the buttery goodness of the Lord will fill your lives up abundantly in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's a Redenbacher blessing right there. But it takes time. It takes time. And this is why... Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I know, I know you're tired of waiting, but maybe you're tired because you're not waiting. Last one. We got a meeting. Gentlemen, I'm not going to get to the, note, the rest of the notes. So don't even, Actually, I'm going to read that last verse, but other than that. Last one, keeping your mouth shut feels unfair. 
And it's incredibly difficult believing that God will defend you when he will. Man, I wish somebody would have told me. I wish somebody would have told me. I wish somebody would have told me that. And this is why me personally, I need the presence of God. It feels so unfair. It feels so unfair. If, uh, a little moment of therapy for Pastor Mike. One of my biggest things that get me like boiling hot in my life is when people misinterpret my motives. And they say things and they just assume certain things, you know? I'm okay with being assessed. Get close enough to me to assess me. But there's a difference between an assessment and an assumption. And, and so, there, you know, in a few decades now of ministry, at times I just... Ooh, I want to clap back. Ooh, I want to say, ooh, I want to justify. Ooh, I want to defend. Ooh, I want to come to my defense and all this other stuff. And it feels so unfair. Injustice is such a trigger for me. Keeping your mouth shut feels unfair, and it's incredibly difficult believing that God will defend you when he will. He will defend you. He will defend you. And so we, we need the presence of God to follow him because it's really hard. We need the presence of God for him to change us. We need the presence of God to wait, and we need the presence of God to shut up. That's our reality. He, he is our reality. So our current reality is that, don't put this up, but our current reality is that he's with us. Our current reality is that he's our strength. Our, our current reality is that he's our counsel. But can I talk to you about, so we're dealing with all that. We need strength. We need his presence. We, we need his counsel. And that's our current reality. But then also, I want to end on a high note right now. Can I remind you of your future reality? So, because remember, I said his presence is here. It's, it's moving and it's also coming. So remind us how the end of the book, the book looks like, okay? We're going to cheat. We're going to go to the end of the book in Revelation 21. Can you all just stand up right now? Because I want you to leave with hope. I want you to leave with anticipation. And this is what the Bible says about his future presence. Everybody say his future presence. His future presence says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, watch this, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the, seated on the throne, says this, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these are the words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water a life without payment, a free life. 
a life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You don't have to worry about that because when you're in Jesus, he doesn't see any of that. Those are for the people who don't believe in Jesus. And he says, and the city has no need, has no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory God gives it light. And it is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and all the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and his gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and honor of the nations. I love how diverse heaven is going to be. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does is accessible or false, but those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is the future. No crying, no pain, no death, no, no hurting, no struggling, no weeping. That's our future. So when you're experiencing that stuff now, just know that there's an end to it. And there's gonna be another moment in God's presence where he's gonna say, it's done, it's finished. That's our hope, that's our hope. So what do we do? We practice his presence and rehearse that type of victory until his return, amen? Awesome.